0: In both of the churches that I've uh, served in since being ordained, in both cases, I thought that I've been going in to do faith and work. Uh, I don't believe in a God who has a big book with everything written in it from the beginning to the end. But just occasionally, I do believe in a God who gives you providential nudges. And in each church, while work and faith undoubtedly has been important, it seems that God has also had something else in mind. At St. John's, as you know, for most of the time that I've been here, church has been slightly different. The world has been slightly different, and what we have focused on is not the work around us, is not the physicality of the buildings, jobs, anything like that, but has actually been, because of our situation, more on racial justice and what this church, in a sense, has come to symbolize, but also come to embody, and the work that we've been doing in Sacred Ground. At uh, St. Martin's, it was slightly different. It was healing, healing service. Again, something that I had not truly expected and yet something which was without doubt a blessing to me. We tried several ways of doing this, but the most moving, the most meaningful was the service that we would hold on a Sunday evening, once a month, at seven o'clock in the evening, winter or summer. St. Martin's is on Trafalgar Square. It's in the middle of London. It is a bustling place, except for early evening on a Sunday and at night. And the city has emptied out. It's quiet, eerie in a way. In winter, sometimes scary. We had the security people with us. We were careful. And yet what we invited was anybody to come in. Some of those were congregants, some of them were rough sleepers, some of them were people who'd never been in a church, others were people who hadn't been in a church in 20 years. And what did they come for? Well, they didn't come for a miraculous cure, they didn't come for medicine, they didn't come for money. They came for something else, and what was it that we could offer? Well, again, it was none of those things. But what we could do was to offer three things. We could listen. When the person came up to us, sat alongside us, the first thing you would ask is, what do you want me to pray for? Sometimes it was for themselves, sometimes for a family member, sometimes for the whole world. There's a lot of hurt going on. And what we could do was to listen. And as you listened and watched these people, you realized how few people had listened and watched to them in a very long time. So there was listening. The second was touch. This was very carefully done. Not everybody, but quite a few of the people who came for healing had themselves been physically abused. So touch was something to be very careful about, but the shoulder, the upper arm, very lightly, would reestablish some human contact. And again, for many of these people, this was the first time that a human being had reached out and touched them in a very long time. And then the last thing that we could do, again, partly physical and this time partly spiritual, was to offering an anointing with oil, a very gentle cross on the forehead and a blessing to send them out back into the world. And to look into those people's eyes was an incredible privilege. An incredible privilege. But we were also, we, the people sitting alongside those who came for healing, were equally aware that we were nothing special. That we were as broken as they, perhaps a little luckier, but as broken as they. So we sat alongside them in equality, fellow journeyers along a way. And we did that whenever we could, but again it was in that equality and humility which made us realize that we weren't the healers, we weren't the people being generous, we weren't handing out charity. We weren't doing something out of skill or superiority. We were, if anything, a conduit, a channel, a vessel for God's healing, through which he graced us to give some help to others. In this middle part of the gospel story about the woman with hemorrhages, there is a similar story. There is touch, there is listening, there is the telling of the story, and there is healing, wholeness, and blessing. It's a remarkable story, one which has always gripped me, although more often in terms of pity than of anything else. And yet, as I looked at this story for the first time since the pandemic, for the first time in the past year, Something new struck me as part of our experience at St. John. You look at this woman who by definition in biblical times already had lowly status as a woman. You look at the fact that she had been bleeding and therefore was richly unclean for 12 years, lower still. And what had society done? What had the establishment done? She'd gone to every doctor. She'd spent everything she'd had and they had failed her. They had totally failed her. It wasn't that she didn't get better, she got worse. She had been exploited, impoverished, and failed. Now, does that begin to ring any bells with what's going on now? Well, perhaps. There is a community in this country, in this city, which has been exploited, impoverished, and failed. Whether that's from redlining to the more recent scandals about subprime mortgages being pushed onto African-American families as a way of trying it out. Whether it's the other things that we've seen in terms of how the justice system works or the education system works from de facto segregation to everything that we see around us. We see a community which has been exploited, impoverished, and failed. But what do we do? Jesus is not walking by with his cloak. There's not a cloak to be touched here. How many hands could touch that cloak? What are we to do? Well, a number of you have begun to ask me, what are we going to do after sacred ground is finished? How are we going to carry this forward? And we'll talk more, much more about this next month. But one thing that I want to talk about now is WIN, the Washington Interfaith Network. Some of you know about this. Many of you probably know about WIN. But that seems to me something in which we can be engaged. What Wynn does, it does protests, to be sure, but what it also does, much more importantly in a sense, is to go into neighbourhoods with community organisers and to talk to people, to find out what's going wrong in terms of inadequate housing or any any of the other problems that they're facing and then take that back to the city, back to whoever it is, and to try to resolve that situation. Just think about what I've described for a second. Not in religious terms. First what happens is listening. This is not us bringing our own bright ideas to people. It's finding out from people what is happening to them. Truly, truly listening to them. It is touching them in the sense of establishing that human contact, really touching, but gently. And then it is about taking that forward to healing and to some type of benediction. And that, I think, is what we can do, or one of the things that we can do. To help make that sound, a little less transactional, however, I want to go back to the gospel reading. And what strikes me as a, struck me profoundly as a a remarkable image. The woman with hemorrhages does not touch Jesus. She touches his cloak. Jesus's power, God's power, flows through that cloak. There is nothing about the cloak itself which is extraordinary, other than the fact that it is a conduit for God's healing. It very much picks up the idea of a prayer which I love and which I think I've used before, but I make no apology for this. The prayer of St. Teresa of Vila, where she says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks with compassion on the world, Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. We are called upon to do that for God. Part of our obligation, our duty, our worship, our praise of God is to be those hands and feet and eyes. Or, to go back to that image of the gospel reading, the cloak, the thing through which God's power flows, and how wonderful it would be if the people of St. John's could spread out across this community, across this city, as part of that cloak, that cloak which would touch people and which people could touch. Again, this would be in humility. If we do this, we have to take with us what we have learned, what we have found out, what I hope others of you will seek to find out in the coming year from sacred ground, which is that we ourselves are responsible for much of what goes on. We ourselves have helped to cause this problem. We ourselves are nothing special. In fact, in many cases, we're exactly the opposite. And yet, in doing that, if we can understand and bring our imperfections and our brokenness to this process, then perhaps we can become part of that cloak. As I say, this is not about charity. This is not about generosity. This is not about us bringing our skills and imposing anything on anybody. It is about touching, listening, and helping in some way to heal. How amazing it would be if we could grow and become part of that cloak and spread out and in some small way help bring God's healing power to this broken place. Amen.